calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Welcome to Bitches on Comics. I'm your host, Essie Fleenor. And I'm Sarah Century, also a host, it turns whoop, out. Whoop, whoop, yes, whoop. welcome. And we are here today with a very special guest. Welcome, Monica Estrella Negra. Hello, my two favorite people in the entire world. Oh, don't even. Don't you say that to me. I will start weeping. <laughs> I'm doing like poses. I'm like stretching my arms <laughs> like a beautiful <laughs> swan right now. Just like, thank you. <laughs> oh, Sarah Sentry. So, Monica, tell us a little bit about yourself. What's what's your whole bag and where people can find you online? So, I am a filmmaker and a writer. Um, I'm also the co-founder of Audrey's Revenge Film, of which you can find on Twitter at Audrey Revenge and via Instagram at audreys.revenge.film. And, of course, you can find me at my personal Twitter page at Negramonica1 on Twitter. And that's Monica with a K. Yes, absolutely. We will, of course, link to all of those in the show notes. So if you did not catch that, go to bitchesoncomics.com and click on today's episode and we will have all that info there for you. Monica is a friend of Sarah's and mine. She's just also a human we really fucking like. So Monica used to write with us when when it existed for Sci-Fi Wire. And that's uh, one of the ways we're connected. But we also all connected just via like love of queer film, I think. Something like that. Queer fandom, queerness, queer weirdos. Love yeah. a queerdo. <laughs> queerdo, yes. Oh my gosh. I should get that tattooed on me, actually. Oh, my God. Matching tattoos? Matching tattoos? Matching tattoos. I was, I just now remembered whenever you got the Venom tattoo. So Monica has a big old Venom tattoo. And it's true. My own symbiote. I wish that that was, like, actually a thing. Don't get me, don't get me started. Oh, my gosh. I've been on, like, such a weird Venom, like, love situation, like, this entire week. You wrote an article for Comic Book Herald, so we can talk about a little bit. You've been doing some articles through that website too, right? Yes, and I actually just wrote one about the best Venom comics, or at least in my opinion, I think they are the best. And they specifically highlight the relationship between Eddie and Venom because I think it's one of the most precious storylines I've ever read in my life, (laughs) Um, especially uh, in regards to quarantining and being by yourself and having to learn to love and appreciate your solitude um, and possibly not becoming homicidal once you do become (laughs) forced to be in solitude. Well, we're going to have to do a whole nother episode about this because I have so many thoughts. I want to talk about their love and how precious it is. And we should mention the Paige Allen episode, right? So we also have an episode where we talk a lot about Venom it's changed now because, as you say, like in quarantine and stuff. So now there's this whole update way to like look at Venom's story. So I would love to have another episode about it. But also we did talk with Paige Allen for a while. But if you want to hear more about Venom stuff, it's a good one. The Paige Allen episode is episode 23, A Lot of Goo Going On. Make sure you go check it out. It's a super fun conversation with Paige. But as Sarah said, it's it's going to need uh, some updating now that things have changed in the world. So we'll have to come back to Monica at some point soon. 
Also, listeners, if you're a patron, you know Monica's lovely, incredible voice from our Happiest Season episode. And you know what I forgot? That one was free, so actually anybody could listen to it. And if you haven't, go check it out. Because unlike, I guess, most people, we actually quite like the film. So it's a it's a fun conversation about what the hell is going on in queerdom. And Monica has a Patreon. Yeah, good point. So much links. All right. <laughs> So go to Monica's Patreon, too. Go to the show notes. Go to the show notes. (laughs) Check out my Patreon. And I actually have two incredible essays that will be coming up on February 4th, which I should mention. I provide to you two film reviews every month at the beginning of the month. And they're typically about horror. Sometimes they're about science fiction. Sometimes they're just about anything weird that I just get this attraction to. But for $3 a month, you have access to my undiluted perspectives on the cinematic universe. People don't always understand what's so powerful about that. And I think as a, a Black queer writer, you and, and we all are in a system that is constantly diluting our arguments, our conversations for palatability, for clickbait, for what have you. So I think that's another really cool aspect of this is that is that unfiltered access where you really get to see what, what Monica is thinking about and analyzing in films. And I find them extremely enlightening. So I hope that everyone else will become a patron of Monica's as soon as you're done listening to this episode. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Or pause it and go become one right now. That's cool too. (laughs) Heck yeah. Go read those and then come back. Whatever. (laughs) So I'm really excited because today we're going to talk about one of my personal favorite characters, certainly from the big two. And I think Sarah and Monica obviously are both big fans as well. Monica, I think she's She's one of your your heart characters, um, Harley Quinn. So Yay. I'm I'm pumped. Like I, I cannot wait to talk about her. But first, Monica, I'd love to hear a little bit about how did you get into comics and and what brought you to them and what comics do you like? So I got into comics by being a sad queer goth kid, um, <laughs> as most people do. <laughs> sad, queer, alienated, angry at the world. Um, And the library essentially became my refuge. And I was already into a lot of like, quote unquote, nerdy things such as anime and horror movies and things of the nature. And I had always held a fascination with comics. And my first comic obsession was Batman, um, because also my mom is really into Batman. And she was the one that introduced me into the films. And then I decided to get into the comics I also got more into comics by watching the animated Batman series, which is the pivotal uh, millennial (laughs) Batman representation. Uh The gateway drug, if you will, of Batman. Exactly. (laughs) And from then on there, my obsession just eventually blossomed. And I strayed away a bit from a lot of the mainstream comics, such as DC or Marvel, and kind of went into more indie comics land like Love and Rocket, Strangers in Paradise, et cetera, et cetera, just because there was a lot more queer representation. Uh, there was also a lot of Black comic artists that I found myself identifying with um, outside of the, as, as we, I love this word, palatable material that is allowed to be released on a mainstream scale. So yeah, I guess that's where my start happened. I love it. I find it highly relatable. Yeah, I think my my gateway was definitely like Batman TAS or like the X-Men TAS. Like I don't actually know mm-hmm. which one I watched first. I just remember them as like a soup of things that I was like, I didn't know you could tell stories like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> X-Men and Spider-Man, like old school. Like, yeah. It was pretty much like the Saturday morning cartoon lineup or the after-school programs. And I definitely watched Batman and X-Men religiously at that point. But once I got my library card, it was pretty much game over. (laughs) It's over for you books. Seriously. Seriously. Yeah, I was the same way. I loved going to the library as a kid. Because I couldn't afford to buy comics, like, consistently and keeping up with, like, everything. So the library was pretty much my gateway into a lot of universes in that sense yeah I think a lot about like the scholastic book fair and the role it played in my class consciousness and like being there and watching like seeing all these books and being like I would like every single book I will read all of these books can I have all these books and then being like oh they're how many dollars a book I I, can't, uh, I gotta go I gotta go read some pizza Hut books get some free books from that like 
I, I don't I don't have the ability to do this. Yo, I miss the the thrill of Scholastic Book Fairs. Like, I remember they would give us, like, the little catalog to take home to your yes, parents. And then yes. you have to, like, go over it. And then my mom would be like, I can only give you 20 bucks. I'm like, cool. I'm going to figure it out, you know. But, yeah. Ugh, what it felt to be alive. <laughs> How it felt. You want to, like, reach millennials, like, Throw an adult scholastic book fair with booze once we've all got our vaccines. I'd be there. I'd be crying. There. Yeah. It's also just called a bookstore now, I guess. I don't know. No, but it's just like, I just want to replicate that happiness, that anticipation of going to school oh. and knowing that you might be able to have enough left to get like three erasers or. Oh my God, the erasers. <laughs> yeah. Or bookmarks. I always got like the bookmarks that were mm-hmm. like holographic, you know, yes, I was about yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Forever <laughs> chasing that high. I don't know where I'm going to get it. <laughs> 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 when will it return? I don't know. I lived it. I lived it. It was great. (laughs) I definitely just got like a serotonin bump from us talking about (laughs) it. Like I'm feeling really good right now, you know? (laughs) So Monica, how did you, did you first run into Harley Quinn in in the Batman animated series or how did you get to know her? Yes, that is where I first ran into her and I was like, oh my gosh, this lady is freaking cool because she just doesn't give a fuck, basically. Um, but also, I think that our Gemini-ness, like, pretty much just made it, you know, a match made in heaven. I just identified heavily with the chaotic energy that was emanating from <laughs> Harley's character. Because also, at that time, even though I was a sad, lonely goth kid, I was also very rebellious. And I did what I want. <laughs> just like that. Harley. I yeah. mean, sometimes you just gotta... Take life by the hand and swing it across the street into traffic. (laughs) (laughs) I just pictured Harley doing that. Yeah, that that feels right. I swear that was like a Harley line. I'm just like, shit. Oh, damn. (laughs) Live your life to the fullest. Do you know what like Harley comic you read first or what comic she appears in? Hmm. Harley's Little Black Book in 2015 was probably my first, like, serious Harley Quinn reading just because, one, like I said, being able to afford comics is very hard for me, especially as I've been a freelancer for a hot minute. But also the majority of Harley Quinn representations I've seen have been through films and through television series. So, yeah, so Bobshell was the first one. The first one I read, I think, was, I think it was literally Mad Love. I think it was, like, her first appearance because mm-hmm. I was reading comics in, like, 1995. Because you're so cool. <laughs> nope. <laughs> reading comics in 1995 did not make me very cool, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you had a leg up. You had a leg up. Like, fandom <laughs> saw itself, like, just expand, and you knew all along. You were just like... <laughs> I will shine. But anyway, continue. I will shine (laughs) with my fucking nerdy ass pull list. Also, like whenever she first got her own series, that was like one of the books that I had on my pull list because I was, oh, it's a person who's like not Superman, Batman or like the seven other dudes that have comics. (laughs) Like I have to buy it because like it's a woman character and it's 1997 now. But it was pretty good. (laughs) I think for me, I'm actually with Monica. Like, I think most of my exposure was absolutely through TV and film. I remember seeing Harley in the animated series, which if you didn't know, listener, you probably do. But if you didn't, that's what Harley was created for. She was created in 1992 for Batman the Animated Series by Paul Dini and Bruce Tim. And then she was mad love the the comic that was out of continuity, Sarah. It was kind of both, like it was her introduction to the comics world, but it had a cover by Alex Ross, and the inside, I believe, was done in that kind of famous animated style. Right, okay. So it had strong vibes of that, but I'm pretty sure that they were doing like a thing of just seeing if she would fly as a comic character. Yes, yes. And then she made her like first appearance into continuity if you will, in Batman Harley Quinn issue one, which is where she and Poison Ivy meet. And you're like, oh, do I hear love bells? I don't know why I called it love bells. I just don't like wedding bells. I mean, it was love bells. It really was. 
<laughs> yes. I mean, like, Ivy's like, oh, I like you, so you need to have this formula I made up so that I don't accidentally kill you. You know, in case we ever kiss or whatever. <laughs> like, right? I'm like, okay, I'm ready for the next panel. What happens now? <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, I think Carly, to me, she's always just been so attractive as a character because she's she's so unpredictable. You know, I think she's been through so much intense, like, pain and trauma, and she's still funny as fuck. And that, to me, is, like, so much of my own experience I see reflected in that, right? Where, like, the trauma I've been through doesn't define me. It's a huge part of who I am, whether I like it or not, but it doesn't define me. But it does give me that sort of macabre edge to my humor, you know? Like, when I, when I lean a little far that way, things get a bit grim, but I still think they're funny. And I feel like that's Harley. Like, Harley just thinks that you're like, that's, that's messed up, Harley. But it's also hilarious. Things like throwing life into, like, four lanes of traffic by mm-hmm. one hand. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'd love to hear, Monica, like, Tell us about Harley. Why Why do you love her so much? What do you think has changed in her representation? And, and where would you like to see her go? Well, I would like to know what you just said about like how Harley has gone through massive amounts of trauma and displacement, but she still finds a way to laugh about her pain. And I just like want to reference that that is like a very, very particularly Jewish thing to do as far as like, self-deprecation and just like this adage of, you know, we laugh in order to keep from crying um, as a response to general oppressions that we face. Um, I personally would like to see a Harlequin one-off in a comic where she fully embraces her Jewishness, because I feel like there's been a bit of flip-flopping between like her actually being Jewish and people like saying that she's half Catholic, half Jewish. And then there's just like all these weird things. And it kind of seems like they're just slapping identities onto her in order to fit her into this like storyline. That's a bit weird. But with Birds of Prey, they don't really mention her Jewishness. And that's a bit odd to me um, because I feel like that's such a pivotal part of her, especially with the work that Arlene Sorkin did by infusing so much of her personality and like who she is into the character. Arlene Sorkin is the original voice actress who voiced Harley Quinn and brought her to life essentially for over 20 years. And when she was first approached with Harley Quinn's character, she started speaking in like a very Brooklyn heavy, Yiddish heavy uh, accent and just like proclaimed that like this is the character that she envisioned. And it just so happens that Arlene Sorkin is also she's an Ashkenazi Jewish woman. So it makes sense that she kind of molded herself into this character and made her her own creation, like in an animated form. And I think that that's always going to be an important aspect of Harley because she was there at the beginning. So I feel like that character should remain in a lot of representations of like the Harlequin like story arc. Mm -hmm. Because it was so intentional, right? Just even from the beginning. It was very intentional. Yeah, it was like from the beginning. And I feel like you can't mess with the OGs, you know, like when they come up with like the original idea, you got to give it props, right? So. This is not to say that, like, you know, there are many possibilities for Harley Quinn. It's just, in a sense, when I feel like any marginalized character is present in either DC or Marvel, um, it always gives way to some weird, palatable, like, Christianized, like, entity, which is a bit odd considering that, you know, a great amount of the creators of a lot of our superheroes were Jewish. Um, Right. But they had to make certain allowances um, in order to have their stuff published. Um, And they had to cater to certain audiences, which is really unfortunate. So but I feel like it's 2021 and I feel like there's a lot of freedom or well, maybe I'm just imagining that. Maybe I just want that. Yeah, I mean, it's we're coming up on 30 years of of Harley as a character. Mm -hmm. Like it's time for her among many things, right? Like stop fucking writing her with the goddamn Joker. How many times does she have to kill him in a dream or, you know, in any other way, individuate herself. That's like, you know, one of the issues. And the other, of course, like exactly like you're saying, Monica, to really, to really embrace her Jewishness that has been a part of her for so long. And I think, you know, we mentioned this talking about your essays, but again, I think it it comes back to this. It's like, Jewish creators have to create palatable characters 
And when comics was just, you know, getting its heyday back in the golden age, it's like Superman had to love Santa and and Christmas and like, and still does. Like, I'm not going to pretend that that's gone, but it just feels like even the things that are coded as other, coded as Jewish, maybe we could say in, in retrospect, still have to have that sort of Christianizing, whitewashing over them so that they they fit that mainstream. And and yeah, it's time to to move beyond that. Well, I should mention that like a great majority of the superheroes that were created by like Jack Kirby and whatever else, the moral codes that they go by are like, oddly enough, like kind of Jewish. Like when you think about like the term like Tukhan Alam, which in essence means uh, repairing the world or is kind of like, I like to call it a Jewish means of social justice, um, where we take the idea of being able to help others as like a serious like mitzvah or a commandment from a higher being in order to do good in the world. Um, and also just like the shielding of identities of the history of Jews constantly having to hide their faith in fear of having any type of anti-Semitic violence like perpetrated against them. Like it just kind of wraps up neatly. So like underneath like a lot of the superhero motifs, there are a lot of Jewish values that are hidden within there. Yeah. Cause literally even Superman, you know, like all of these characters were created by Jewish creators and Jack Kirby had to deal with what you're talking about too, which always really sucks. Cause that guy had enough problems. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And like, I just think it's like bizarre. And I I feel like uh, this past holiday season, uh, DC actually released like an image of like Harley Quinn, like uh, lighting a menorah, which was like huge because I was like, oh, snap, they're actually like going for it. Like they're actually being like, oh, hey, look, like Harley's performing a mitzvah, you know, like that's pretty cool. And yeah, it just made me happy to see that. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. If only we can do that a lot more. That would be great. (laughs) And I feel like Arlene would probably be really happy with that. Um, (laughs) Yes. Yes. Well, and I think a lot of of people who are Jewish have talked about, you know, they want to see Kate Kane live in her Judaism. They want to see Harley live in her Judaism. They want to see Kitty Pryde live in her Judaism. And, and And I think it is frustrating that that is so hard to do like I'm shrugging you can't see me but I'm like hard to do because it's like it's not hard to do but it must be or are just all the wrong people writing the stories I don't I don't know you know I I, I don't know the inner workings well enough but my guess is it has a little bit uh, <clears throat> a lot to do with uh how it, it goes working with um you know licensed properties versus creator owned well I was going to provide an example of uh something that hints towards Harley's Jewishness is uh, Harley's Little Black Book, issue number four by Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti. In this issue, we see Boncha Harley. She ends up going back in time and she gets uh, entrapped into this plot to rescue a general inside of a Nazi hideout. And she actually teams up with Batwoman, Catwoman, and Big Borda. And then I think Zatanna like, appears like, briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, for a second. But that story, in essence, made me think about uh, Freddie Overstegen, who was one of the women that historically used to, with a, with a bunch of other Jewish resistance fighters during the Holocaust, they would seduce Nazi uh, soldiers or representatives and lead them to the forest to their deaths, mm-hmm. which is pretty rad um (laughs) it's the best story so every time i hear that story i'm just like i'm just like yes 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 like (laughs) clapping we do the things yes so i feel like that book in particular and also i should mention that like harley does end up beating the shit out of hitler in that issue which is amazing um because it also hints that harley had uh family members that were affected due to the holocaust so by harley being this hero that goes back in time and gets to live out the vengeance fantasy of multiple Jews that were affected by the Holocaust. Like, I think that that was like a pretty great nod, like towards that direction of just like, you know, I feel like it's just like a a serotonin booster of just imagining (laughs) that like one of your favorite characters can just go back and like murder this like absolute shit stain on the planet earth. Um, 
It's so beautiful. It's like so enjoyable. I'm like Arsenio Hall and like, yeah. And she's like kicking his ass, just like, oh my God, it's so beautiful. Yeah, I'm thinking about how many times that happens in comics and how I always love it. We're talking about like the Magneto goes and beats the shit out of the Red Skull. But then there's the Silver Sable series where she just straight up goes around killing Nazis and she meets this old lady who like is dying. She's on her deathbed and she's like, yeah, I'm old as hell now, like whatever. And then like Silver Sable's like, you're still a Nazi and fucking kills her. (laughs) And like that whole series is like that. Like that series ruled and Silver Sable should also come back to comics. That's a side argument. But (laughs) yeah, I was just thinking about how it's just... Just always what we want to see, I guess. Like, it's always like, you know what? We haven't done one of these stories where somebody gets to, like, kick the shit out of a fucking Nazi yet. So we should just go ahead and do it. Yeah, in, in this instance, in, in um, Harley's Little Black Book, issue four, at the same time that Harley's beating the crap out of and hilariously annoying Hitler, the rest of the bombshells with the Harley from that time are just, like, shooting a room full of Nazis. Just, like, laying waste to them. And it is just... It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, whenever in Bombshells, the comic, whenever Harley and Ivy are just in that car and they're just, like, shooting, like, they have, like, machine guns. Oh, my God. Oh, it warms the heart. It's beautiful. It sure does. It's it sure does. Beautiful. And, I mean, I gotta say, Connor Palmiotti, if they're writing Harley, I'm, I'm enjoying it. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much any time those two write. You're just like, well... I know that Harley is just going to be a creature of thirst, like, through this entire story. And that's what they do great. I, like, read the whole series. I hadn't read this one before. I was, like, so happy to find a a Palmiotti Connor I hadn't read. And I was, like, just sending pictures to Sarah being, like, when is Harley not shooting her shot? She's hitting on Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, Lobo, herself. Everyone. Everyone. It's so funny. <sighs> and it's yeah. like I like the way that the art is uh like Connor's art feels like really sexy without being overly objectifying and that feels like a line that I don't always see struck in comics. So mm-hmm. true. True. <laughs> <laughs> Hey there, listeners. Welcome to an interlude of the episode. What will we say today? We're going to say, hey, thanks for joining us. Would you mind rating and reviewing us on your favorite podcast platform? Notably, you can't do it on Spotify, but you know where you can rate and review? Apple Podcasts, something called CastBox, never heard of her, and Podchaser. Rate and review us. Help us find our audience. And even if you don't listen to us on iTunes, you can just click, 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 rate us and review us because we need your love and support to help reach the masses. <laughs> As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. And organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. 
You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Let's talk about Gotham City Siren 7 again. Oh, let's Because we talk already about it. talked about this and I want to talk about it again. Wait, when did you talk about it? What happened? It was one of our Patreon bonuses. It was our superhero holiday grab bag. Oh, but it's free too for everybody. So anybody yep. can go listen to that. Everything that went up in December is free. So anybody wants to listen to it, please do. There's a Ghost Rider review, <laughs> Happiest <laughs> Season, and what was the other one? The one we were just talking about? Oh, yeah. The, the Superhero Holiday Grab Bag. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we talked about it then, and basically our review was, I really like the part where Ivy kills those poachers. Very good. That part was great. And, yeah, poor Harley, right? Like, she goes through a, a pretty hard time. Mm-hmm. But one thing, I mean... Regardless, like, even though she goes through a hard time, it's really interesting to see, like, how blended her family is in this particular issue. I was thinking that, too. It's it's cool that, like, she has so many family members who are she relates to in such different ways. And then her brother, right, has two children. Right. And one of them is black, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, when she gets to the door, she's like, Happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, Happy Kwanzaa, which is, like, very, like, as I was saying before, like, there's never really, like, any moments where, like, well, there are some moments, but in this particular instance where she can never just be in that, like, Jewish moment, and I still feel like it attributes to, like, people always trying to, like, claim her as, like, this other identity of sassy or something else, but it's pretty cool because it gives, like, some context to also the, the fact that she is half Jewish, which saying that her father is... Christian, and I thought that was also leading into, and I'm sorry if I'm digressing, but Birds of Prey, where like the opening, they say that she grows up in a Christian orphanage with nuns, um, and just like the influence of Christianity on Harley Quinn, which could also represent why she can be so mixed up in a lot of her moral uh, choices and her inner conflict of wanting to do good, but never seeming to be able to do the right thing. <laughs> yeah. Or if she does, it always feels like an accident. Like she accidentally <laughs> like she right accidentally thing. like stumbles on like having to choose whether she's going to do the right thing, but then she ends up fucking it up anyway. Which uh, oh wow, <laughs> I identify with a lot sometimes. <laughs> I always remember at the beginning of I think it's Harley Quinn and Birds of Prey, the comic mm-hmm. where which was also by Connor Palmiotti. But at the beginning, whenever she tries to take. Ivy away to a nice island. Oh my god! And then, <laughs> oh my then god. she just ends up like stranding them. And Ivy's <laughs> like, "I need to not talk to you for like two months. <laughs> like, leave me alone." <laughs> and that kicks off the whole story. <laughs> like, they didn't have any food. She was like, "This is gonna be the greatest idea in the world. We're just gonna have nothing but time with each other in this beautiful <laughs> island." And I was just like, "But wait." Were we supposed to, like, get this and this and this? She's like, oh, shit, I didn't think about that, which is also just, like, another (laughs) nod towards Gemini impulsivity, and I apologize on behalf of all Geminis across the world. We literally cannot help it. Sometimes we just think it's a really good idea. What matters is that you have accountability for when it doesn't end up being a good idea. And that's my TED Talk. (laughs) That's so funny. (laughs) 
I'm sorry. This is the way that God made us. Um, so, but yeah, so Harley ends up going back and then like her mom like goes to see her dad. Her dad is still a manipulative piece of trash. And then Harley realizes that actually her chosen family is the best part of her life, which I think is very relatable, especially to a lot of queerdos out there. And she goes home to Ivy and Selena, and Selena's, like, rocking a suit. Oh, man. <laughs> that's my favorite Selena. I feel like that's got big, like, non-binary vibes, too. Like, I just, I I like it. I like it. My favorite part of the comic is how, like, Ivy is just like, I don't have to kill these guys, but shouldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> I do like that. I like that Ivy has, like, a really clear moral compass. <laughs> it's just not human centric <laughs> yeah at all yeah and i got nothing but respect for that she sticks to her values doesn't care what the haters say she's gonna do what she's gonna do that's really big fire energy right there um is the oh, next podcast gonna be is <laughs> ivy and aries um <laughs> ivy is definitely an aries see that's the thing all aries are like low-key kind of misandrous <laughs> <laughs> i'm just like there's no way and why wouldn't you be yeah <laughs> why wouldn't you be so then you know one of the other comics that we uh have talked about a little bit that i think is is a super interesting example because you see more of that that um syncretic you know, traditions, they, they're really married in a way for even just on the page for how Harley shows up, which is a very Harley holiday. Do you want to talk about that a little bit, Monica? Oh, yes. Yeah. So in a very Harley holiday, that was a part of the DC Rebirth holiday number one, 2016. And in that particular comic, Harley comes out with a, a very interesting headpiece. And she explains to everyone that she celebrated Hanukkah and Christmas in her household, which also points back to her upbringing. Um, but I also feel like this is another example of weirdness and having to involve Christmas with everything um, and only having Christmas as being the focal point, like as any holiday celebration. Like, I don't even think that like Kwanzaa has made like its way into like any comic book story sarah maybe you can back me up on that one actually yeah I'm, I'm pretty sure that there might be a black lightning story that was like kwanzaa related which is a little i was like all right i think i read it a long long time ago it would have been like mid 90s or something like that where it seems a bit like contrived right like everything is still like within like a judeo-christian right, like yeah. hegemonic like way and i just feel like it's very like inauthentic at this point yeah, actually, we were talking about how all of the Jewish characters, you have like Ben Grimm, mm -hmm. you know, Kate Pride, Harley Quinn. These are all characters that constantly are appearing in Christmas stories. <laughs> and like you see like a little bit with Kate sometimes whenever she's written by Chris Claremont, but kind of at no other time. There's just a lot where it's just like, hmm. So it's like always Christmas for y'all. <laughs> like literally. <laughs> It's weird. It's weird how, like, every holiday is always Christmas, huh? Yes. And also, I feel like it's a bit, like, tokenish in a weird way. Like, oh, yeah, we celebrate Christmas, but then we have our little Jewish friend here that comes to celebrate. But I never, like, see that, like, actually happening, like, with Hanukkah or anything like that. So, and also <laughs> right. there's, like, this weird thing where, like, you know, capitalism has tried to turn Hanukkah into, like, this Christmas light type situation right. where it's like yeah. Hanukkah is not necessarily about like presents and gifts um though it has been commodified to do that which is like fairly recent so there's also that like weirdness that occurs there as well and also Moon Knight is Jewish too there's actually yeah. a bunch yeah there's a, a whole host uh where it's just like always comes back to like Christian centric like celebrations and holidays and I feel like sometimes they just like throw in like identity politics in order to appeal to certain demographics but that's just my opinion they're like here's seven christmas stories and here's a jewish character in one of them exactly <laughs> here's one who's there to support whatever so what they're always like people? actually i don't mind celebrating christmas <laughs> like that. that's like the like 
classic and sometimes Jewish I wonder life. if it's just like the commercialization of Christmas that like they're participating in like maybe this has nothing to do with Jesus being born maybe this is just about buying presents and eating cookies I don't know but I feel like that's where you know Christmas is marketed in that way and why a lot of weird uh fundamentalist Christians get a, a bit weird about taking Christ out of Christmas or something like that that's why I'm like, take back Yule. That's the term we should use for this weird shit we're doing. I mean, if we're going to go, yep. I mean, winter solstice, Yule. Ugh. I'm pretty sure that Christmas was fashioned after that, but. Yeah, Romans were like, oh, fuck, 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 fuck. This is not working. Uh, we got to do something quick. Uh, I'm on it. We'll change when Jesus was born. Everyone cool? Great. Slap a stamp on it. No, he's a Capricorn. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, Scarlet Witch. Yeah. I wonder if that's going to come up in WandaVision. Fucking Ooh. never, honestly. Like, yeah, because Scarlet Witch is Jewish and Romani, right? Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Well, and also, isn't it weird? Because in WandaVision, at the time of recording, and I think for a while, at the time before mutants have entered the MCU continuity. So Wanda's also not uh, Magneto's kid. That's right, right? <laughs> yeah. But, like, I mean, you've seen his cape. You've seen her cape. <laughs> Come on. Come on. And her little helmet. Yeah. And Lorna Dane, too. And that big old cape. And then, like, Quicksilver, who's a runner. Why do you think Quicksilver's always mad? He's a runner, and he can't wear a gigantic cape like the rest of his family does. fashion-forward family. Yeah. Yeah, they really are. They really are. I've been thinking about this a lot. It's weird how, you know, TV and film adaptations, they, they sort of— branch off from the comics, but then they end up influencing what the comics do. And there's good examples, I think. Like, I love that. I don't know if it's out yet, but I I heard that they're going to be doing a a Valkyrie comic that features a black woman. Looks like Tessa Thompson. And I'm like, that's really cool. I like that idea. But then it's like, oh, man, I hate to see the nuance and the complexity of characters washed away for the sake of, of TV and film. And then that translates back into the comics. Right. Yeah. Um, there is already a comic. It's Exiles. Thank you. Has a, a Valkyrie that is essentially the Tessa Thompson. So is that? Do you think it's like a concerted effort between like marketing to like raise sales of like comics by introducing people via film? Maybe. No, because <laughs> only because <laughs> only because comics do not have their shit together on that level. <laughs> So yeah, going back to a very Harley holiday, it's not really a very Jewishy thing because it's just literally about Christmas. It's just like a rebirth holiday thing. That's all. That's all I wanted to say. It's the same thing. It's a bit contrived. It feels like when it's like, um, oh, she can be wearing a menorah hat she made, but only if we put her in, in red and green. You know, yeah. like she can have this, but only if we also get the Christianity in there and the, and the you know, the focus on Christmas. And I think that's that's part of what frustrates me about the representation. And, and I'm guessing, is that is that fair, Monica? Is that part of what's frustrating for you? Yeah. And it's also funny. She does make a, a really funny joke where she's like explaining about like her upbringing. And she's like, yeah, it's like being like she's happy to be Jewish, but with none of the guilt or something or like double the guilt or whatever, though, I think that like. The guilt part just comes to like from Catholicism because that's a deep spiral there. Um, <laughs> yes, it is. I went to a Catholic high school. I can say that. Um. <laughs> I'm the child of, of a Catholic. I, I, I'm with you. <laughs> the guilt runs deep. So, yeah. So it's just, it, yeah. I personally would love to see like a comic of Harley combating against like weird fundamentalist like Zionist or something like that's my like personal thing but like also that's very 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 political and touchy so I probably will never see that in my lifetime (laughs) unless you write a fan comic unless I write a fan comic though I'll probably get lots of death threats um (laughs) so won't even go there too real too real I'm just saying I'm just saying no you're right Um, But in regards to, like, the person that Harley Quinn is, like, I feel like she would definitely go down that pipeline because she's not a traditional Jewish woman. Like, she marches to the beat of her own drum. Sometimes she does the right thing. Sometimes she doesn't. But, hey, that's life, whatever. And then also, I feel like that part of her creates her own character because of, like, her way to, like, laugh off the bad. And, like, even though she goes through the crappy relationship with the Joker, she still, like, somehow 
seems to bounce back. Though, yes, I totally agree. She needs to be liberated from the Joker entirely and completely because the storyline is old, it's abusive, it's a overused trope. And quite honestly, I'm just tired of seeing men like try to romanticize it in a weird way, um, especially in 2021, like read the room. Nobody's trying to hear that. Well, <laughs> yeah. some people are, unfortunately. Oh, you know what? I didn't mention, uh, and Sarah's going to love me for this, but can we talk about Harley Quinn and her role in the White Knight um, <laughs> and how Bruce's parents were hanging out with Nazis, but somehow like she still becomes like the common denominator and helping Joker and Batman like figure out like their lives or something. I don't know. It's just really bizarre to me uh, mm-hmm. because it was such a like overlap. Like, you know, there was like this like central idea that like, yes, Batman and whatever had like some connection to Nazis and well, like Mr. Freeze and whatever. Um, but there was no hint towards like her Jewishness within that at all. Like it could have been such a great like talking point as to how she would interact within this like, quote unquote, social justice story arc. That comic. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, there's so many issues. She played the role of psychiatrist, but, like, she wasn't meant to play the role of psychiatrist, but they just were like, oh, she is a psychiatrist, so she's going to help out these two dudes that, like, completely treat her like a piece of trash. Um, Yeah. While also knowing that, like, Batman's parents were Nazi sympathizers. Um, So... I guess we just overlook that. Um, so yeah, it's crap like that where I'm just like, there is no continuity here about like what Harley is supposed to be in her identity because I feel like she would totally tell those people to like fuck off in real life or go back in time and kill them so then they won't be born. <laughs> yeah, you know, she loves that. She's like, I grabbed Superman's balls and now I can travel through time. And I'm not going to explain that joke, reader. You're just going to have to read Harley's little black book. You're really nailing something for me, Monica, that I think I've been trying to suss out for a while is there's just such a lack of consistency in how Harley's represented. We actually just in late January uh, released an episode about Harley and Ivy in Injustice and, and talked about their wedding and how it's like, yeah, of course, we're excited about that. That's amazing. But also, like, why do I have to be excited about table scraps? Like, I'd like to just see them treated like their relationship matters. You know, in the prime universe, not just in half or a third of a comic in a alternate universe. And so what I've I've been thinking a lot about, like, these inconsistencies, you know, she's she's allowed to be with Ivy, but only sometimes she's allowed to be Jewish, but only if we mix in some Christian with it or Catholic or both. Uh, you know, she's allowed to be independent from the Joker, but only if we can bring it up whenever we want and have her go back to him. And I'm just curious, why do you think that happens with Harley specifically? I honestly cannot tell you. <laughs> I just feel like she's probably like an easy, uh, easy pick because she is like one of the most popular like characters and they can use her and morph her into any way that they want to market her to any demographic that may find that appealing. That would be my only guess. I think that maybe you do know. <laughs> and like, again, I think it's also has to do with the fact that she's a woman. Like, I think that, you know, people are so comfortable projecting their their fantasies and their desires and what they think women are onto women. And so, you know, why wouldn't that make the leap into the fictional realm where people can project? Sarah and I were talking about this once. You know, people love to call her all these like, ridiculous names and they make fun of her and they pretend like she's a sex doll and we talked about someone called her like a and i'm quoting so please forgive the language like a a psycho sex kitten and it's just like yeah yeah like how are we reading the same harley like how how is this happening and i think you nailed it it's it's people you know they, they make her fungible they make her what they decide she should be in, instead of finding, like, some sort of, like, I don't know, like, nugget of, of, of truth I, with an asterisk, I guess I'm saying. I don't know. I think it's worth it's worth noodling on is what I'll say. Noodling has been my new word lately. I'm noodling on Harley. I think that people have, like, really ingrained methods of looking at that stuff, right? With Harley, it's always about her going back to the Joker and stuff like that. And that's literally just, I mean, for the most part, men were writing that for a really long time. And I think that it just speaks to how people really misinterpret how 
domestic abuse works, right? Because that's, like, such a common myth where people are just like, oh, she'll just go back, so she must want to be in that situation or something like that. And I just think that when they put her back with him so many times, like, they're kind of just reinforcing the stereotype without showing the horror, you know, of being stuck in this, like, repetitive, terrible situation actually is. So that's how I feel about it, I guess, a little bit. That's how I feel about, like, Harley and White Knight a lot. And then you're just getting too preachy about comics, Sarah, okay? Like, (laughs) oh my god, they're in love, and, like, we don't need that SJW stuff. Like, clearly, if she wanted to leave, she would leave. But also, women love bad boys. So, like, I think that she just thinks that she can fix him, and maybe she will, but we don't know. (laughs) It's so weird, right? Because I think you've both, like, hit on um, so many different pieces of it but it's almost like people look at harley back with the joker and they're like wow she just keeps going back to him and it's like do you know someone wrote that story like someone wrote that we're not observing reality like a person decided to have her go back to him like we why can't we engage with the intent behind that the the problematic nature of that and Maybe it just asks, like like you were saying, Monica, maybe we're just asking people to bring <laughs> too much complex thinking to their their comic consumption, but mm-hmm. I don't think so. I don't mm-hmm. think so. Mm-hmm. And also just, like, the notion that, like, she went through this, like, laborious effort to create this ma- magical, like, SSRI for him to take so she could have her idea of what he possibly could be which in retrospect like he seemed like he was pretty whack like even before he was the joker like he just like got whacker as he descended into madness which as it turns out a lot of like his madness was just by being a white dude that didn't get the celebrity that he wanted and wanted just to be seen even though harley gave him everything that he could possibly want so it's just like I don't know. My girl just keeps getting the short end of the stick and I don't like it, which is also why I'm petitioning that I write Harley Quinn. <laughs> yeah. Tomorrow. Send me the petition. I will be signing yeah. it. Tomorrow. Sign it. Share it. <laughs> I'm here once again asking you to support me in writing <laughs> a Harley Quinn comic uh, where she doesn't take any more bullshit from anybody and she slaps joker repeatedly actually that's just like five pages of her just beating him up and then like lock changing the locks of their compound <laughs> and then just her making out with the ivy i'm in calls her over they change the locks they paste the entire citadel and plants and beautiful they live happily ever after <laughs> i feel that that's pretty cool i don't know I'm in. I want to both uh, read and live that existence with them. <laughs> um, I'm like, do you need a third? Here I am. They're like, who Who are you? You're like not a comic book character. This is, I'm too far. Now I'm too deep. I'm too deep in the <laughs> fantasy. I'm like, oh, and then I would say, get together. Um, I haven't thought about this before. Never. Not once. This is off the cuff. <laughs> okay. I think there's like such, such a proliferation of representations of Harley and and I don't think they're going anywhere, right? Like we know there's a, a Suicide Squad coming, oh another dear. one from James Gunn. We know that, you know, Margot Robbie really cares about the character and wants to take her to future places. We shall see what that means. And then I think, you know, relevant to this conversation and to, I think, a, a very popular representation of Harley right now is the Harley Quinn animated series. The animated series, it's uh, Harley, it starts with her, you know, with the Joker, and then she starts to realize that he's being terrible to her, and she's with her roommates, and Ivy's there, and Ivy's plant Frank, I think, is there. I love Frank. I think he's one of the best characters. And, you know, they're living in a flat together, and it's basically Harley being like, all right, bitches, I want to be top baddie. I don't want to be second to these men anymore. I want to be top baddie. It's a mouthy show. I mean that in the best possible way, cursing, cool animation style, but it has some serious issues. Uh, We have done a review of it for our Patreon listeners, and that one we get into some of the issues. It's actually the only time Sarah and I have recorded where we agreed so hard that we got kind of like upset with each other. We were like, we were agreeing so hard about what was problematic that we were like, I got to take a breather. I got to take a breather. (laughs) 
Yeah. Wait, was it the movie or was it no, the we show? Were, we were it talking the about show. Kite Man. We were talking about Kite Man. We were talking about, about Kite Man. How did I, how did I know it was about Kite Man? Like, it's literally about, like, because he's just the fucking worst. He's yeah. terrible. And I remember we were both like, he's terrible. And I was just like, I guess I get how, why she would have dated him. And you're just like, no. I was like, I do not accept that. <laughs> you were just like, but I agree with you. And I was like, I don't but, care. I know. And we were both like, but I also agree. And then we just like got back to agreeing about it more. It was pretty funny. It was like, let's actually never talk about that guy again. And now we're talking about him again. <laughs> but one of the big issues that we didn't get into a lot, but did mention, and I think obviously is germane to this topic, it is this topic, is the representations of Jewishness and how Harley's relationship to her Jewishness is like, she's completely divorced from it. So anyways, Monica, I would like to hear from you about it, like what your your thoughts are, how the show could correct for it over time would be cool to hear as well. So Give us your hot thoughts. Okay, so there were like a lot of like anti-Semitic tropes that did appear and it should be worth noting that the story's writers are also Jewish people. Um, right. And I definitely see where they were coming from when, as far as uh, they coined their brand of humor or the writing of the jokes as ironic anti-Semitism, which is like the most like millennial like thing I've ever heard of in my life. Um, just like the whole like ironic humor. And I I understand that they were like, you know, trying to reclaim a lot of the tropes that have been like very harmful to Jewish people like in media. But I feel as if they didn't think about how other people would definitely validate their own anti-Semitic viewpoints via the show by like trying to replicate some of the jokes. So I can see where a lot of the outrage came from. um, And I don't think that they actually thought it out like pretty well, which is troublesome in a way because a lot of people just be like well if they can do it then I can do it you know regardless if they're not Jewish or anything like that but then also as like a black person I can sometimes see how like a lot of like our media can be penetrated by people that are not necessarily a part of our diaspora and a lot of the jokes are just meant for us and it is only okay for us to laugh at them basically I feel like you can't really have people hold themselves or their friends accountable for replicating a lot of stuff that they see within media and just holding them accountable and being like, you can't laugh at that or you can't like repeat that joke. Like that's solely for us. And I feel like there was a lot of like misguidance, which is like greenlighting, like a lot of the jokes that they had, like, especially like with the oven references, which is definitely like about the Holocaust and just like, uh, I think they turned the penguin like Jewish, but he's not Jewish. So yeah, there's just like a lot, there's a lot of things that I see that are wrong, but I do understand like where they were coming from, if that makes any sense. Being a Black Jewish person, there are some jokes that like, you know, I didn't personally have any family members that were involved in the Holocaust, but on my Black side, you know, I've had ancestors that were enslaved and brought here, but I would never feel comfortable to repeat any jokes about the Holocaust or laugh at anything in regards to Ashkenazi, like Jewish history or Slavic Jew, you know, I wouldn't laugh at that at all. And I feel like very uncomfortable that some of those elements were present because I'm pretty sure there are lots of non-Jews like sharing a lot of like (laughs) a lot of those jokes and like making those jokes valid within their own like comfort zone, even though it's definitely not for them. Right. Or not even recognizing the anti-Semitism of them, because Mm -hmm. I've noticed that there's like a ton of times when people just aren't very well educated in that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you'll see people like miss these really glaring things. I also just wanted to jump in and say there's been a lot of criticism around the Penguin as a character, like at least as far back, I think, as like Danny DeVito, but probably even further being like Jewish stereotypes, even though he's not a Jewish character. Mm -hmm. With like that elongated nose and like the ears and being like money hungry and like in the sewers and da 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 da. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's quite a choice to make him Jewish in the text. Yeah. Yeah, it is in a way. Interesting stuff. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I wanted to say, because I was a guest with Avishai Weinberger on the animated discussion of Harley Quinn, and we talked a lot about, I believe, the penguin on that. Um, So if anybody wants to listen to hours and hours of (laughs) talk about that. And I want to say that that's, like, one of the most prevalent, like, that shit shows up, like, even in, like, the most popular things. I think uh, uh, Fame Turf, J.K. Rowling, like, with her description of goblins and, like, just so happened to run a bank. Right. Just so happened. That nobody ever missed. I'm just like, 
Nobody talked about that. <laughs> Nobody had anything to say. Come on. How many Jews were like on that set and were like, oh, okay, this is okay. But as she has revealed is that she has always been a very problematic person. So. Oh, yeah. Turfs yeah. are white supremacists. They prioritize their targets differently. Oh, we have this great article that we'll share written by Arielle Kaplan from Alma. We'll put that in the show notes as well. It's a great breakdown of what's so problematic in the series and, mm-hmm. and how the anti-Semitic tropes show up. And, and you know, I, I, the writing style is lovely, so I'm excited to share that. I was glad to have read that. There were things that I genuinely missed because I didn't know what they were referencing. And so I didn't catch that it was problematic. So I'm really grateful. I'm always grateful for critics. And I'm I'm continually grateful for critics who are willing to use their, you know, to talk about their identities. And, and, and because it can be a really scary place to talk about Jewishness and how we represent it. Because obviously, as politics have shown over the last, uh, you know, forever, there's a lot of anti-Semitism in our world and a lot of overt hatred for Jewish people. So I think it's important to talk about the, the places where representations of Harley fall short and... She's just a character of, like, so much potential. She has so many overlapping and intersecting identities that I think are important to a lot of people. She means a lot to me as a trauma survivor. She means a lot to me as a survivor of of abuse, both clearly an intimate partner violence, but also, you know, there seems to be some gray or some suggestion that she's a survivor of child abuse. And and I'm, I'm a survivor of, of both child abuse and, and intimate partner violence. And so for me, it there's so much there. But, you know, she's also Jewish and she's also queer. And, and I think there's this desire to sort of uh, collapse that all down to the most digestible version of her. And it's a mistake is truly a mistake. Characters who are complex, who defy easy definition, those those are the ones we think about for the rest of our lives. And and I am hopeful for the future. I, I uh, you know, cautiously so. <laughs> yeah, why isn't there more on-the-page discussion? Like, we had this issue, right, whenever we were trying to find Hanukkah stories instead of, or like any stories outside of Christmas. Like, we were trying to find things that weren't Christmas. There's so many Christmas comics. There are so, so many. Yeah. And then you try to find ones that aren't Christmas, any holiday, honestly, like pretty much. And you're just like, well, weird how there are no other holidays. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just just this one. So, yeah, I think that that's an issue. But like it's not outside of even just the holiday stuff, right? Like there's Jewish creators. They're like founded on beating the shit out of Nazis. There's all kinds of stuff whenever it comes to that, where it's just like, yeah, of course, comics deserve way better Jewish representation. And like, why not Harley? Like, it should totally be Harley. I love the setup that she's been given, you know? I'm in agreement that they should just go more into it. And outside of just utilizing the parts of Jewishness that work to their benefit. So like Harley, she's definitely influenced by like Borscht Belt comedic timing and just like all those Ashkenazi like Jewish references. And I feel like that's like a really big bulk of humor in comics. So it's very like witty and sarcastic and like people can be self-deprecating and stuff like that. But then at some point it becomes to be a bit tokenish if you're not actually celebrating the entirety of that character's identity. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Jinx. Uh, We're like, yeah, name it. Well, amazing. Monica, it is just like, as always, so good to chat with you. So enlightening to talk about Harley and her Jewishness and and how it's been represented and and misrepresented, sidelined, forgotten, diluted, so on and such forth. But, you know, we also want to hear a little bit more about your Patreon, if you don't mind taking a minute. And then if you can also tell us where folks can find the URL for your Patreon, that would be great. So the URL for my Patreon will be my name after HTTP colon slash slash www.patreon.com slash Monica Estrella Negra, and that is Monica with a K. Sign up, $3 a month. You get two reviews for me at the beginning of the month. And sometimes they range from new releases. Sometimes they range from my weirdo obsessions, but I will definitely give you a heads up every month of what you can expect. And also, if you want to check out my horror film collective, Audrey's Revenge, you can check us out at www.audreysrevenge.com. Oh, and also I should mention that like my fourth film is going to have a release date of March 5th, I believe. Dang. I know. Holy cow. Very exciting. 
very exciting. And my fourth film is called Bitten the Tragedy. And there will be information coming up in regards to that via the Audrey's Revenge website. And we will, of course, be retweeting, sharing, etc. cetera. Uh, Monica's not going anywhere, folks. Get used to her because we are and love her. So. Thank you, listeners. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for being willing to engage with our comics with a critical lens. We are super honored to have you here today, Monica. We love you, listeners. Take care of yourselves. Be good. Or, or not. Whatever. I don't care. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Be as good as Harley would be, I guess. Oh, oh yes. Oh. I like that. It's a good metric. <laughs> Turn down the police. What? No. <laughs> ah! Or do. Or. We are a podcast that is all about making comic books more accessible to LGBTQ folks and women. So if you have a question about anything related to comics, comic adaptations, pop culture in general, conventions, cosplay, you name it, that's what we're here for. You can send us your questions at bitchesoncomics at gmail.com. Unfortunately, Gmail does not like the word bitch. They're pretty judgy about it. So (laughs) we can't have it spelled out. It is B dot. T-C-H-E-S-O-N-C-O-M-I-C-S at gmail.com. And do you remember there's no I'm bitch? I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor, and you can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine erstwhile monk-turned-traveling-medical-investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.